All right, well, good morning, everybody. Would you go ahead and stand with me real quick? Let's stand one more time. Good chance to stretch those legs again. Um, man, so great to see you guys here on um, the worst weekend of the year, Spring Forward. It is of the devil, is it not? And, you know, all the presidential candidates have it wrong. If you would just run on abolishing having the time change, you would get my vote. I mean, because the time change, it's just, it's archaic. I mean, you know, it's, uh, we don't get started. I could fall back every week, though. You know, it's like every week, give me that extra hour of sleep. I don't care if, you know, it's bright at 3 in the morning. Yeah, that's fine. I just want that extra hour of sleep. Every but Spring Forward is the worst thing ever. But you guys are awesome because you're here. You're here at Spring Forward. You're here on Spring Break Weekend. So I know I'm, I am speaking to some people today. Man, you guys are hungry to hear from God. And so I am excited about what um, God's laid on my heart to share. I actually want to open up just by reading the passage of Scripture, scripture that we're going to be camped out in today. And that's in Matthew chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6 says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said his voice is shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and all of Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Will you guys pray with me one more time? Father, this morning we are excited, God, to be in your house, and we're excited, God, to hear what you have to say. And Lord, I know I need today's message just as much as anyone here, and so God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come, just as we sang earlier, God, that your Holy Spirit would come and would fill this place, God, that you would speak to us, and that you would challenge us, God, and, and that there would not be a spirit of condemnation or spirit of guilt, but God, that there would, we would just be challenged to step out this morning and to do what you've called us to do, God, to be the people that you've called us to be. And so we open up our hearts, God, to hear from your word this morning. Speak to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you're with me, will you give me a big amen? Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, as, um, as Pastor Brad mentioned earlier, um, I don't know if you guys can believe it, but Easter is just 14 days away. We are two weeks away from Easter. And, um, you know, one thing I'm discovering as I've um, become a parent and, and have kids, I have three kids, a man of a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a uh, almost one-year-old now, is that there is a lot of preparation that goes into pulling off a successful Easter. There's a lot of things you have to do to prepare for Easter. One of the things that I'm discovering is a great source of stress, especially for my wife, not so much for me as we prepare for Easter, is Easter outfits for the kids. And, and just, I think, even the mention of this right now, I think my wife's like eye is twitching because she's very stressed out, and, and maybe some of you parents, you, you know, you understand this, about having the right Easter outfits. Now, I'm a guy, and so I, you know, I love to help and support my wife when, when she's in uh, stressful situations and is in need of my spiritual leadership and guidance, but, but this is an area where, where I have nothing to give because I'm one of those dads where you can always tell when I dress the kids. 
You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like the, the kids come out of the house, and I think I've hit it out of the park. And my wife will look at what I put on the girls, and she's like, oh, Oh, that's what you want. Oh, oh, good, good for you, honey. You know, she like kind of pats me on the head condescendingly, you know, like, oh, well, that's you, you thought that once again. Okay, no, that's that's fine, you know. And, and I'm like, what? This is this looks great, you know. And I think I've done a great job. And so the Easter outfit thing, you know, I totally because I'm a good spiritual leader in my house, I delegate that to my wife, and I say, here, you know, you you handle this because because I have I have no idea, I have I have no clue. Um, but you know, the Easter outfits very important part of Easter preparation. In our house, you know, for some of you, maybe you have meals to plan. You know, you have family coming over, and, you, you know, you got to plan the meals to what you're going to eat or whether you're going to go out or, you know, what restaurant you're going to try to eat at. Or some of you, maybe it's cleaning the house, you know, getting the house ready for company. If you have family coming into the house, you, know, you got to make sure everything looks good. You got to make sure, you know, that if you're at my house, you know, we would mow the lawn because our hen bit's like, you know, this high. And, you know, I think, I think we have small children lost in our front yard right now. Um, you know, so we got to get the house ready for company if you have if you have company coming over. But one of the things that um, we do for Easter that we prepare for is we get Easter baskets ready for the kids, right? And um, the the thing is, you know, so when we had our first kid, um, Olivia, when she when she got old enough to have an Easter basket, you know, we got our Easter basket ready for her and stuff. And um, you know, I played it cool. You know, I was like, okay, helping out with Easter basket and. And then Easter, she gets up, you know, she's got this basket full of, you know, of chocolate and candy and, you know, a toy and all this stuff. And, and so all the while this is going on, I'm thinking, man, this is pretty sweet because this, this is like therapy time for me right here. I'm going to sit on the couch because I never had an Easter basket growing up as a kid. Like I, I, I never, I didn't even know they existed. And, and I, you're so, that, that may be a weird, like, cultural thing, you know, or maybe it's because my mom was so hardcore. She was like, you know, Easter about Jesus, not chocolate, you know, and just and it's kind of one of those, you know, it's not resurrection, you know. And, and, and so it, it was one of those deals where Easter basket, I didn't even know, like, I didn't even know there was Easter baskets. And, and like, Olivia's getting this Easter basket, and inside I'm like, this is a sweet deal, Oh my goodness, this is like Halloween for Christians. Look at this. It's like you get dressed up and, and you get a basket full of stuff. It's like, man, I was gypped as a kid. Maybe that explains so many of my, my issues now as an adult is that I, I didn't get an Easter basket when I was, when I was a kid. Um, and so, you know, Easter baskets are a big thing. You know, with Paraform, got to find the right baskets, got to find the right things. Maybe, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I need to get in on this this year and, like, get an Easter basket, too, so I can have one for the, with the kids. But, um, you know, so a lot of things that we do to prepare for Easter. But one thing that we all, in this room, we all know will be part of our Easter preparation. We, for every one of us, we all know that is going to happen this Easter is that we're going to be in church. We're going to be in the house of God this Easter because we know what Easter is about. We know it's a time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. The one day that that is Christ followers, we say, you know, if I'm going to be in church, man, I'm going to be in church on Easter. And so that's one thing that we all know is going to be a part of our Easter preparation. And, you know, the thing is, I think for a lot of us, it's easy for us to assume that that's true of pretty much everybody. That everyone knows what Easter is about. That everyone knows the reason why Easter exists. And that for everyone, church is going to be on their radar here in two weeks for Easter. You know, and we even say that a lot 
in church circles, we say, you know, the time of year that people are thinking about going to church, Easter and Christmas, Easter and Christmas, that's, that's the time that everyone's thinking about going. Everyone's thinking about going to church on Easter and Christmas. And so we, we can take for granted, we can just kind of assume that everyone in my life knows to be in church on Easter. Just like it's an assumption that I'm going to be in church, we all know that that's going to be what we're going to do on Easter. The one thing that's, that's going to happen for sure, we think that's true of everybody. But the thing is, church, I think that just like as an as a early child, as, as, as little Daniel in his, in his mismatched outfit and bad haircut with no Easter basket, you know, as, just as, as I grew up and I had no idea what I was missing out on when I didn't have an Easter basket. I had no idea of, of the goodness and the fun and, and just the neat thing that could happen with the Easter basket. There are people in our lives, in every one of our lives, that are going to miss out on the best part of Easter because going to church won't even be on their radar. It's not even going to cross their mind. They're going to wake up, and they're going to maybe have an Easter egg hunt. Maybe they'll cook a ham. Maybe they'll go out to eat. Maybe they'll just think of Easter as a time of, like, a spring celebration or or ringing in, you know, the, the, the spring. But going to church won't be on their radar. And just like as a kid, I missed out on the Easter basket. They're going to miss out on the best part of Easter because the church won't even be on their mind. See, I, I think this year God wants to take our Easter time. God wants to take our Easter preparation to the next level. And, and he wants to do that by adding a new way for us to prepare. Just like we have the outfits and the meals and the baskets and all these things and, and we get ready for Easter. There's something that he wants to add to us this year that's going to totally change our Easter. And that thing that he wants us to add, the thing that he wants us to be thinking about is bringing someone to church, inviting someone to church, extending someone that opportunity to partake of the goodness of what we know Easter to be about. See, and I think that this is something that as Christ followers, you and I, we want to do this. This is something that that when we hear this, it's like, yes, I want to invite my friends to church. Yes, I want to make sure they don't miss out on what happens on Easter because we feel bad when people miss out on good things, don't we? We feel bad for them. We feel, we feel for them. Just I think even for some of you, when, when you heard that I didn't have an Easter basket growing up as a kid, you know, there was a part of you that was like, oh, I feel bad for you. When we went over this in our preparation meeting in our staff time when we talk about the messages, when I said this, it was like all the air went out of the room and everyone was like, oh, you know, they, they had this look like I had never had Christmas before, like I never had a Christmas tree. You know, they felt so bad for me. Some of you maybe even went as far as you thought, oh, well, I got to make sure Daniel gets an Easter basket this year or something, you know, because you felt so bad for me. And, and um, you know, and of course, I, I, would, I would not um, refuse that. But, <laughs> but the thing is, you know, when we see that people are missing out on something, there, there's a part of us that it's like, oh, I want that for you. And, and church, I think what God wants to do is he wants to shift something in our mindset. When we, when we see people that are staying home on Sunday morning, that are not, when, when church isn't on the radar, that that same thing rises up inside of us. Just like we said, you know, I didn't get an Easter, but that, that they're missing out. They're missing out on something that's good for them. They're missing out on something that could benefit them. They're missing out on something that could totally change their life. But even beyond that, what I think what God wants for us is, is that we, as, as a church, as Christ followers, we miss out on something when we neglect this step 
of having our mind on people far from God and having our mind on those that, that don't have their mind on Christ, that don't have their mind on Jesus this Easter. When we neglect the step of saying, God, who is it that I can invite? Who is it that I can reach out to? Who is it that you want me to help? When we do that, we miss out on something. And I think there's, God is wanting us to take that next step this Easter reaching out to those in our lives because they're missing out on something, but not only are they missing out on something, but you and I are missing out on something if we don't do this crucial step. And so today, what I want to do is is I want to give you and I want to give me a little bit of an extra push this year to do the thing that we want to do, to do the thing that we know we want to do, to do the thing we know we should do, but that can be scary but that can be intimidating, but that can be really fearful. And what I, what I, I really want you guys to hear this. I don't want today to come across in any sort of way in a, in a condemnation, like get out there and, you know, and, and just this, I, I don't want you to feel browbeat at all by the end of the message today. But I want you to, and what I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit would come in and just fill you with encouragement and fill you with optimism, and fill you with this, you know, I can do this. I can take this step. And so throughout the message today, I just want you to hold on to that thought of, of let's, let's let this be a time of encouragement. We can go out and we can do this as we talk about preparing the way of this Easter, as we talk about what we can do to bring those in our lives that don't even have church on their radar, that don't even have God on their radar at the moment, what we can do to bring them in and have them experience the good things that we know happen right here in the house of God. So today we're going to be looking at preparation. Today's all about looking at preparation. We're going to be look at the best preparer in the Bible. This guy rocked at preparation. He, it was so good. He said that his purpose on life was to prepare the way for Jesus. So if, if we want to look at what it is to prepare the way for other people, if we want to look at what it is to be prepared for Easter, I, can, I think this is a good place for us to start. So we're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist. We're actually going to be looking at that for the next three weeks in this new series we're doing called Prepare the Way. So we're going to be looking at what about John's life, what about John the Baptist's life led to him being able to prepare the way for Jesus and who was John. And I think this is especially important conversation for us to have because John the Baptist was born into a time, into a culture that I think was very similar to the time and the culture that we're living in right now. Now And so I think it's a really pertinent conversation for us to have. So let's, let's have a little background on who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. You can read about him he, um, pretty much in all of the gospel accounts. And he came in, and he was, he was a, a, essentially a street corner preacher that, that came and burst on the scene right before um, Jesus' ministry began to start. But, but I want to look even further back at the time that John the Baptist came. And I, what I want you to do as we're talking about this is just think about the parallels between when John came on the scene and the, the society and the culture that we're living in right now. So throughout the Old Testament, God sends prophets to speak on his behalf to the people of Israel. You know, you have Moses, you had Elijah, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah. God sends all these prophets to Israel to start talking to them and, and proclaiming his word and calling them out on their sin and, and delivering a message for the nation. And so the people of Israel throughout 
all of their, their history, they have these prophets that rise up. And, um, and some of these guys are kind of strange. And God asks them to do kind of strange things. You know, some of them, um, Isaiah, I think, roamed around naked for, for several years. Very, very strange stuff. God would ask. And so they're used to these kind of, kind of eccentric guys popping up on the scene, but proclaiming the word of the Lord and delivering the message that God had to the people of Israel. So after the final book in the Old Testament, Malachi, before, so after the last verse in Malachi to the first verse in Matthew, that, that gap, that page in your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, after Malachi, God is silent to Israel for 400 years. There's not a prophet on the scene. There's not a word. There's nothing that happens between the end of Malachi and the first verse in Matthew, between the end of the Old Testament and the first verse of the New Testament. 400 years of silence from God. I want you to think about that. 400 years of God saying nothing. Think about 400 years ago, 1600. You know, the America is just first starting to be colonized. Just think about how crazy. No cars, no electricity. It's all, you know, they're riding around on horses. It's, it's an archaic, dark time. There's no iPhones. I mean, it's just a crazy time. I would not want to be alive. I can't even imagine how they lived. You know, it's, it's just awful. Can you imagine 400 years from the time when people first stepped foot from, from England on this, on this plot of dirt we call America? 400 years from then to now. Can you imagine? God says nothing. There's no message. There's no word. There's no proclamation for 400 years. And can you imagine what that does to the people of Israel? Can you imagine that they, they start to see God as something that's not relevant to their life anymore? For 400 years of silence, all of a sudden going to the temple and worshiping doesn't really seem that big a deal. That God doesn't seem like someone that's active and involved in their life. That the stories they heard about these prophets, the stories they heard about Elijah, and the stories they heard about Isaiah, and the stories they heard about Moses, they go from being a central part of their life to just kind of these stories, just kind of something they've heard, just kind of the folklore and part of, part of their history, but something that has no application and no meaning for how they live their day-to-day life. Then out of nowhere, something starts to happen. So for 400 years, there's nothing. Then all of a sudden, rumors start flying about this strange star that appears in the sky. And, and shepherds, these crazy shepherds start telling these stories about, about angels singing and, and, and this stuff starts happening. And then all of a sudden a man appears in the desert and he's dressed crazy. He's wearing camel's hair and, and he's eating crazy things. He's eating locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist was paleo before paleo was cool. You know, he, he, was, he was out there and, and he was bizarre and he was strange and he burst on the scene that wasn't that unlike what we experience today in our culture. See, even here in the Bible Belt, even here in Jesus Disneyland, even here where the evangelical vote counts, you know, even here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the majority of people, the majority of people don't know God, don't go to church, and we're becoming generations removed from them having any impact, where the word of God has had any impact, where Jesus has had any impact on their life at all. We're we're stepping into, even in this part of America, we're stepping into a time that's known as post-Christian. 
a time where Christianity is something that's viewed as something of the past, where God is viewed as irrelevant, where the Bible is, is viewed as just a book of stories and a book of fables, where truth is subjective, where morality is subjective, where everything is relative, where if it works for you, that's great. It may not work for me. Nothing is absolute. There is no moral standard. There is no moral truth. We're moving into an increasingly post-Christian society and post-Christian culture, and I think it's not unsimilar to what John the Baptist stepped foot into, where people for 400 years had heard the silence of God, where they hadn't felt the need, felt the relevance for God. You can feel and you can hear it in our culture today, where God is becoming increasingly marginalized. Christians and people of faith are becoming increasingly marginalized, and we're moving into a society that says, I'll figure it out. I'll do it on my own. I'll make my own way. I'll define my own truth. I'll figure out my own moral standards. And, And the society is saying increasingly that God has no purpose and no relevance in my life. That's, this, that's the era John was born into. And that's the era that we live in today. But what happened when John showed up? All of a sudden, there was a shift in the atmosphere. And people ran out into the wilderness to see this guy preach and to hear this guy talk. So what was it about John that was so compelling that in the midst of all that apathy, in the midst of all those people saying, I, I don't know who God is. I don't need to go to temple. I don't need to know the stories. In the midst of all of that, what about John the Baptist was so compelling that people traveled out into the desert to hear this crazy man talk, to hear this guy talk? What about him stirred something within the heart's of the people. That's what I want to look at today because I believe just as John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, just as John the Baptist was sent to begin to stir the spiritual apathy of the people, to begin to stir up a hunger for the things of God, to stir up a hunger for, for heavenly things, just as John the Baptist was sent in his time to do that, God is calling you and you and you, and he's calling me to do the same thing in our land today that's filled with spiritual apathy, that's filled with people turning their backs on God at an increasing rate, that's filled with people that are marginalizing the truths of the word of God. He's calling us He's calling his church and his people to step up and say, I'm going to be willing to prepare the way, but we have to know how to do it. We're going to look at some of the things that John did to do that. You guys ready? You guys with me? All right. Two things that we're going to look at from John's life. First thing is John had a simple message. John had a simple message. See, in John's day, the religious leaders made it so impossibly hard to get to God, that it just basically broke the will of the people. They had no desire. The, the, the lists of do's and do nots and the things that you could do and when you could do them and when you couldn't do them and what you could wear and what you couldn't wear and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and the places you could go and when you could go and when the horse you had to be riding to get them, all the, the lists and the rules that the religious leaders made in that time made it virtually impossible to get to God. But let's look at verse 2, what happens when John shows up on the scene. He had a simple message. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. John basically shows up and says, hey, stop doing what God doesn't want you to do because the one that's promised, the Messiah, he's coming. So get your life right. And that was his message. His message was simple and his message stood in stark contrast to the religious leaders of his time that 
were, were just drowning the people in rules and regulations. See, in a time of complication, in a time of clutter, John fought for simplicity. And I want to show how this simple message works out both at the church level and then in our individual lives. So at the church level, we fight for simplicity here at Core Church. God help us if we ever make coming to Jesus difficult as a church. God, God help us if we ever do that. See, this is, this is why here at Core Church, we fight to present the truth of God's word in a way that's simple and practical every week. We, we fight for that so hard. It, it, see, because it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how deep a teaching is if you can't go out and do it and if it doesn't make any change in your life. doesn't matter. See, because truth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with some of you here. For, truth does not change your life. Truth does not impact you. Truth makes no difference. Applied truth changes your life. What you can apply, the truth of God's word that you can put into action, that's what changes your life. And that's what we fight to present here week in and week out at Core Church. See, in verse 3, it says, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, his voice is shouting in the wilderness, prepare for the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Our job as a church is to clear the road for people to come and meet Jesus. See, some of you, maybe your only church experience has been here at Core Church, and you, you haven't experienced a whole lot of other church. I, I grew up in church, and so I've been around a lot of different church. And, and the, my, my experience in church was always that there would be three Sundays, you know, where church was amazing, and it was good, and the message was good, and the worship was awesome. And so, you know, you'd try to invite your friends, and your friends would finally come, but the Sunday that your friend came was always weird Sunday. It was always weird Sunday. You know, it was the Sunday that the worship leader was out of town, and so Sister Susie was leading the music, and Sister Susie can't hold a tune in a bucket, and she sings at an octave that only dogs can hear, you know? And, and, and you, you know, the whole time you're in service, you're apologizing. You know, you're in your seat, and you're like, I'm sorry, it's normally not like this. It's normally good. You know, I was, I was actually just talking with someone today in the lobby, and they said that every time they invited their friend, it was always when the, the pastor would be talking about giving. You know, they're like, oh, no, why did we come on? The, oh, no, we don't, you know, we don't want to talk about this like once a year, you know. And it's, it's, it's always, the, it's always the, the Sunday that you invite that something strange is happening at the church, you know. Um, that's why here at Core Church, we want to we clear the road for people. We want every Sunday to be a Sunday where it is simple and easy to find the hope and to find the message of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday should be Easter here at Core Church. Every Sunday should be Christmas here at Core Church. And Easter and Christmas should be the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, we, this, this is the goal. This is, volunteers, can I talk to you core team members for just a second? This is why what you do is so important. This is why what you do has such value. You may think you're just holding a door for someone. You may think you're just handing out a program. You may think you're just serving coffee. You may think you're just back babysitting some kids. But what you are doing week in and week out is you're preparing the way for people to find Jesus. You're clearing the road. Someone may come in scared. Someone may come in and, and, and they don't know. They don't know what they're doing here. They, maybe they were bribed. Maybe they were drug in. Maybe someone said, hey, if you come to church, I'll buy you lunch. I'll babysit your kids. Just come check out church with me. And so they do, but they don't want to be here. And if you're at that front door and you greet them with a smile, and you say, man, we are so glad you're here. 
And if you're at that coffee bar and you hand them a cup of coffee and you smile and say, just, we're so glad you're here. You know what you're doing? You're clearing the road. You're bringing down their defenses. And if you're backing the kids and you take their kids so that they can come in and they can experience this and you can pour in the love of Jesus into that child that maybe has never experienced it before, what are you doing? You're clearing the road for people to find Jesus. And that's what God's called us to do as a church, to clear the road. That every Sunday you come in, if you're on a core team, I want you to, every Sunday you come in, give your best. Because you don't know if that's the Sunday that someone's here for the last time. You don't know if that's the Sunday that someone said, I'm going to give this church thing one more try. That could be even today. Maybe you're here and, and we want you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're here and, and you're in that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. But I just want you to hear one thing this morning. We are glad that you're here. And this whole thing, this whole building, this whole, this whole thing exists for you. If you don't know Jesus, this whole thing exists for you. And we're so glad you're here. And our hope is simply that you'll just come back. And you'll keep hearing about who we believe Jesus is. And that you'll, eventually you'll make a decision on what that means for your life. So we're here to clear the road for you to find Jesus. But personally, what does that mean? This, this is something I want, I want you to chew on this for just a second. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow him? If, if, if someone were to ask you, if, if, if you had a chance and maybe strike up a conversation with a coworker or someone in an elevator and, and somehow it comes to your faith and they say, well, why do you follow God? What, why, are, why are you a Christian? What is that about? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? Would it start with, well, I don't know, but... Uh, man, that's, that doesn't sound like a real convincing statement of faith. See, I think... We need to develop a simple answer for why we follow Jesus. John had us, remember, we're talking about John's simple message. We need to develop a simple answer for this because I want you to hear this. If we can't articulate our faith, we will never share our faith. If we can't articulate why we believe what we believe, we will never share it because we know, we know instantly we're going to sound stupid. <laughs> right? We know instantly we're not going to make any sense. And so a lot of times we don't share our faith simply because we can't even articulate it ourselves. We don't even know why we believe what we believe. Well, I think John lays out a really great blueprint. And for everyone, I, uh, this, is, this is your homework. for the week. You need to develop something that, that just carries around. I talked about the Pharisees had a laundry list of how they believed you had to get to God and what that meant. I, I want to challenge you to have a business card. I want to challenge you to have something that you, you can carry with you, a simple statement of your faith, why you believe what you believe. So let's go back to verse 2. John says uh, his message was, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Breaking that down, what, what if your statement of faith, what if the reason you believe what you believe looked something like this? You know, my life was jacked up, repent of your sins. And, and I turned to God, and he forgave me. He turned to God. And my life has never been the same since. The kingdom of heaven is near. What, what, if, what if you carried around some sin? Why do you believe what you believe? That, that you were able to have something that, that was just always with you. It's like, you know, I believe God because, man, before I met God, my life was really messed up. But, you know, when I came and when, when I asked God for forgiveness, man, my life has not been the same since. My life is the best it could ever be because of my decision to follow Jesus. My life is totally different because of my faith. My faith has made the, a tremendous impact 
on my life? Do you have something that you can carry around? Do you have something that you have with you, a simple statement of your faith? Because I want to tell you that that's going to come up, and you're going to find ways to work that in. But if you don't have it, if you don't have something that's portable that you're carrying around with you, you're never going to be able to express it. You're never going to be able to share it. So the simple message is the first thing John had. The second thing John had that I think made him compelling to the people of his time was a committed life. See, John's life lived in stark contrast to the religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders, you know, they dressed in these fancy robes, and they walked around, and they, they thought they were important. They thought they were big stuff. And John's life was different because John's life was authentic, and it was simple, and it was committed to his cause. See, the thing is, sometimes we think we need to be perfect to share our faith, that we need to have it all together to share your faith. Well, guess what? You're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And the only perfect person that ever walked this planet was Jesus. We're actually going to talk about this a little more next week about how we're not God and we're not the Messiah. And it's not our job to fix people. So we're not Jesus. See, there was nothing about John that would have drew you to him. There was nothing about John that, you know, he, he didn't have the it factor, quote unquote. You know, he didn't have the look. He didn't have, he wasn't head and shoulders taller and better looking than everybody. You know, he kind of he looked crazy. John would have never made it on TBN. You know what I'm saying? John would have never been a televangelist. John was a hot mess. John was a hot mess, but thank God that God can use us even if we're a hot mess. Amen? John lived a life of authenticity and commitment. See, the people knew the religious leaders, man, they were in it for themselves. They were in it for their own glory, and they ran to hear John because John's life was different than everyone else living around him at the time. The people were compelled to hear John's message because John was fully committed to his cause. He had a committed life. And I want to, I want to quickly illustrate two ways that John demonstrated that commitment in his life. So John had a simple message, and he had a committed life. And two ways that his life was fully committed. First one is this. He went to the wilderness he went to the wilderness. In verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. See, and this doesn't make sense to me, because if I were to start a ministry and if I were to start preaching, I would want to start preaching in the temple, right? Especially if I'm going to talk about the Messiah, I want to go to the temple and talk about the people that talk about the Messiah with the people that are also waiting for the Messiah. That would have been the safe, logical thing to do to start your ministry. But John doesn't do that. He doesn't start preaching in the temple. He starts preaching in the wilderness. Now, I know looking at me, you probably can't tell, but I don't know much about the wilderness. I'm not, I'm not a wilderness, (laughs) I'm not really a wilderness guy. The, The closest I've ever gotten to the wilderness, my wife's family owns the wild wilderness safari in Gentry, Arkansas, that drive through safari. And that's about the closest to the wilderness I've ever gotten where I can feed a camel a piece of bread out my window, you know. It's like, that's, that's the wilderness experience I have. I want to experience the wilderness in some air conditioning in the comfort of my vehicle. That's, that's the wilderness experience that I know about. So, you know, but, but one thing I know about the wild wilderness safari is it, it, it's not that wild, and it's not really that much of a wilderness because I don't know much about the wilderness, but I know one thing, the wilderness is probably pretty wild. There's a lot of wild in the wilderness. And see, the thing is, John went to the wilderness, and I think what God's saying to us here is God has not called us as Christ followers. He hasn't called us to live safe, sheltered, comfortable lives. He's called us to the wilderness. 
He's called, and the people in your life that you work with, that you go to school with, that you have playdates with, that are on your soccer teams, that are uh, sitting next to you in class, maybe that are even in your own family, they are living in a spiritual wilderness. They are living in a place where they have to figure it all out themselves. It's dog eat dog. There's no rest. There's no reprieve. They are living in a spiritual wilderness. And just like John went into the wilderness, he didn't expect them to come to the temple. He didn't expect them. And a church, if we get in the mindset where, well, they know we're here. They don't know we're here. They don't know we're here. And even if they know we're here, guess what? They don't care that we're here. God's called us not to sit around. and This isn't field of dreams. This isn't if you build it, they will come. This is take up the cross and go. Go into the wilderness. Go into the wild. Go into the place of spiritual apathy, spiritual darkness, and share and spread the hope and love of Jesus. See, church, we disconnect from the fact that people are in a wilderness because oftentimes we don't get the chance to know their story. But, you know, we have, a, we have an evangelism strategy here at Core Church. It's called intercede, invest, invite. When we begin to invest in people, when we begin to know their story and build relationships and build rapport with them, it's pretty qu- it becomes pretty quickly evident the spiritual wilderness that people are in. When, when people begin to open up and they start sharing about their struggles with their kids or their struggles with their marriage or their struggles even at work, you know, some, you, you, you know everyone's had that bitter coworker. You know what I'm talking about? The coworker that's never happy. Why are they never happy? Because they're in a spiritual wilderness. Unless you're a Christian, you're that coworker, then stop it. You're being a bad witness. We, you know, because they're in a spiritual wilderness. And what if we could shift our mindset that everywhere we went, we were in that spiritual wilderness, and God was calling us to go in there and prepare the way so people could come and people could know him and people could find him. God has called us into the wilderness. That's why for 2016, we want to, we want Court Church to be the city of refuge. We want this to be a place of refuge for people because it's a wilderness out there. They're in a wilderness, and this is a safe place for them to come and find hope and come and find healing. So John, first of all, he went to the wilderness. The second thing John did was John put his call over his comfort. John put his call over his comfort. In verse 4, it says, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John focused on what God called him to do over his own comfort. I want you to write this down, tweet it, hashtag it, because I think this is big. We can't expect, as Christ follows, we can't expect comfort and calling to coexist. We can't expect comfort and calling to to coexist. I want to, I want to back out just big picture here for just a second. See, the th- what I'm finding in my life, the older I'm getting, is that the bigger the thing God calls you to do, the more discomfort you're going to find as you do it. That, that the thing that, and the bigger the calling, the bigger the thing God calls you to step out into, the more uncomfortable you're going to be. When I first stepped out into full-time ministry, it was, it was one of the most uncomfortable things that, that I've ever done, but God was in that discomfort because he was stretching me and calling me, making me do something bigger than myself. And you know when I get worried now, I get worried when I get comfortable. In, in what I'm doing, I get worried when I get comfortable. I go home all the time and talk to my wife, and I say, I don't know what I'm doing. 
I don't know how they hired me. They're going to figure this out, that, that I'm not able to do this. One day, they're going to come in, and my boxes are going to be packed. I'm like, well, I knew it. it was a good run because I'm not comfortable, but God is in that. And the thing God's calling you to do, you may not feel comfortable, but you know that's probably a good indicator that that's where God wants you to be. Getting back to evangelism, getting back to inviting our friends. You know, there's 1% of you in this room that you can naturally and unawkwardly steer conversations to your faith. And uh, for that 1% of you, you can get a pass on this. But for the rest of us, we, we, all, we all hate you, that 1%, by the way. Those people that can just, you know, naturally steer your conversation. You know, you're, you're amazing. Rock, you know, you're a rock star. For the rest of us, we need to understand something. It is okay, and it's natural, and it's going to happen for us not to feel comfortable talking about our faith, sharing our faith. It's okay. It's going to happen. You are, not, you are not going to feel comfortable doing it. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird. You're going to sweat. You, you know, you're going to wear some deodorant because you're going to feel uncomfortable that day. But we can't let our desire for comfort steal, prevent us from answering the call to go into the world and make disciples. We can't let our comfort, our desire to be comfortable, prevent us from answering the call of God on our lives. I believe like, like John, just like John the Baptist, God's looking for people today that are willing to carry a simple message and live an authentic, committed life to prepare the way for people to have an encounter with Jesus. Some of you are saying, man, I want to. I want to do this, Daniel. I'm, I'm fired up but I'm still scared out of my mind, and I'm with you. I I get that. scared too, guys. It's okay. One thing I want you to remember, though, it's not you that does it. It's the Holy Spirit within inside of you. In Luke 1, 15, John was filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. I don't know how that happens, but John was filled with the Holy Spirit. What John did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the first part of that strategy is intercede, pray, invest, invite. Intercede means to pray. We pray because we know we can't do it on our own. That you and I, we're going to mess it up. We're going we're gonna to screw it up on our own. But if we pray and we allow the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us, God can do great things in us and through us. Um, Stan, why don't you guys go ahead and come on back up. I want to close with this thought. In verse 6, it says, when they, when the people confess their sins, that he, John, baptized them in the Jordan River. Inside of your worship programs, you have a prayer card. I want everyone to pull out that prayer card right now inside your worship program. We'll take a moment, take a moment to do this and pull out that prayer card right now. What we're doing this Easter is we are challenging you to take these prayer cards and to fill out the top part of that. But you're going to keep the top part. Everyone say, keep the top. Keep the top part. And the bottom part, you're going to put your name And at the end of the service here, you're going to come and you're going to drop your name at this altar because God's calling you to prepare the way. And God's calling you to intercede and invest and invite. And God's calling you to take that step. And we want to come alongside you as a church and help 
you do that. But here's the vision I want you to get as you're filling out that prayer card right now. As you're filling the prayer card, everyone's, everyone do this. Fill out that prayer card right now. Who are the people in my life? I don't care if you've done this a million times before. Let's do it again. Let's do it with fresh faith as you're filling out the card. This is the image I want you to get of, the, of what happened in verse 6. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. I want you to take one of those names that's on the prayer card and put that name in that verse that you could begin to see through the eyes of faith right now. And when Tim confessed his sins, he was baptized. And when Jenna confessed her sins, she was baptized. And when Tommy confessed his sins, he was baptized. When Mary confessed her sins, she was baptized. That person that's on your prayer card right now, I want you to visualize it and get some faith and get an image of what it would be like if they came back here and you invited them and God used you and they got in this pool and you were able to stand right here and you got to watch your brother or your sister or your co-worker or your friend or your schoolmate and you got to watch them go under this water and come out a new person because you took the step of faith and you said God I'm willing to be used by you I'm willing to have a simple message I'm willing to have a committed life and I'm willing to let you use me to prepare the way if you don't have a prayer card right now I want you to raise your hand our host team's handing some of these out I want you to get an image of what could be because church this is what God wants to do in us this Easter this is how God wants to prepare the way for this this is why it's so important that we clear the way of all the rubble of all the distractions this is the thing God has for you for you this Easter can you imagine what it would do to your faith can you imagine how much more real the things of God would be can you imagine how much more precious the gospel message would be if you saw your friend come to this church and give their life to Christ and find the hope and find the redemption and find the healing of faith in Jesus and go under that water and come out a new person best easter ever best easter pray. Father, I just thank you right now, God, for your goodness. You want, you want something for us, God. You don't want something from us, God. And this, Lord, what I've said today, God, it's because you want good things for us and you want good things for those in our lives. With every head bowed right now, I just want to ask if you're here in this place and this message is challenged and you said, Daniel, I want to prepare the way this Easter. I want to, to have people far from God on my radar, and I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to say, God, make me aware of those in my life that are in the wilderness. Make me aware of those in my life that are far from you, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to let you use me. I know I'm going to be scared. I know I'm going to be intimidated. I know I'm not going to be comfortable. God, I love you, and I love people more than my own comfort, and I'm willing to take that step. If you're if you're saying, yeah, that's me, I want to do that, and I want the Holy Spirit to help me do that this Easter, to help me do that over the next 14 days. If that's you, will you raise your hand right now so I can pray with you? God, for those that have raised their hands, I just pray that your spirit would go and you would, you would just fill us with boldness, God, and fill us with braveness, God, and just, we know it's not us in our own power, but help us, God, for those that have committed to prepare the way for others in their life, God, that, that we would do that with the best of our ability. And while still praying, if you're here in this place 
And maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus before. I want to tell you that there's no better time than right now to make a decision to follow Christ. Maybe you're here. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe someone, um, you know, drug you to church. I believe you're here by divine appointment. I believe you're not here by accident today. You're here because you wanted to, you needed to hear this message that there's a God that loves you so much that he takes time out of a church service to inspire his people to share that love with you. That he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to have to go through this life. He doesn't want you to live in the wilderness any longer. He wants you to come home and he wants you to find hope and he wants you to find healing and he wants you to find peace in your life. Those things that you can't get free from, that stuff, that wrongdoing, that that feeling of guilt, you need forgiveness today. And if you'll come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, make me new. Something will happen. I I can't explain it, but I've seen it happen too many times to deny it. God will make you a new person. If you'll confess and just say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. If that's you in this place and you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus before, or maybe you made it a long time ago and you know that that you've walked away from that commitment, you want to come back. If that's you in this place, I simply want to invite you, I'm going to count to three, I simply want to invite you to raise your hand as an act of faith, to raise your hand, to say, yes, that's me. I need forgiveness this morning. I need God to make me a new person. I I want to choose to follow him today. I know he's brought me here for a reason, and this is it. If that's you, I just want to ask you to swallow your pride. Take that step. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. You may feel a little uncomfortable. That's okay. God's here and he wants to meet you. If you're here and you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus or you made that commitment a long time ago and you've walked away and you need to recommit your life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. I want you to boldly raise your hand. One, two, three. Anyone in this place? Thank you right there in the middle. I've got you. Anyone else? Make that commitment to follow Jesus for the first time or come back to him. Anyone else? This is why we're here this morning. Anyone else? All right, church, I want us to pray out loud in support of the person that raised their hand this morning. Let's pray this together. Everyone repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I confess that I need you. I've messed up, and I need your forgiveness. Come and make me new. I commit my life to you, Jesus. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we clap our hands and celebrate changed lives here in this place?